1: welcome to the 11 personnel podcast your favorite rams podcast i'm your host jordan Rodriguez. with me as always my fabulous 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 i can say that word i swear co-host rich hammond rich how we doing wow
2: i was flattered by all those fabulous i know I, I, all those fabuli um doing well Jordan uh it was good to see you at the game on uh, Sunday I was I was able to leave my cave and uh, come out to SoFi Stadium and uh, always a pleasure to do that and uh we got an interesting game uh, I thought it was very very fascinating uh, game good game interesting game um Rams won it so that's good for Rams fans but a few losses in there right and I know you got some uh, information later Monday here as we're recording about some of those injuries and they are significant. So why don't we start there, Jordan? What do we what do we know about some of these guys?
1: Yeah, such a mixed bag of a game. Um, so yeah, let's. We, I guess we should just rip the Band-Aid off and then discuss from there. So Sean McVay did confirm our our previous reporting um, that left tackle Andrew Whitworth has a grade three MCL and PCL. And so that means he's going to miss six to eight weeks. So he's going to go on short-term IR. And Sean was adamantly um, wanting to make sure it was clear that this is not technically a season-ending injury, if you're thinking about it in the course of this Rams team probably making a playoff push. So the hope, as I understand it um, through you know the phone, various phone calls <laughs> being made throughout the, the last 24 hours, is that they think that they could get him back for the playoffs should they make a run in the playoffs. Okay. So that's, you know, when you, when you see basically what happened was Andrew Whitworth, it was so incidental. He just KJ, Wright, A Seahawks linebacker just kind of fell back into his leg and it bent totally the wrong way. And it looked so gnarly and yeah. it looked so much worse than it ended up being obviously still not great to be without your franchise left tackle. So I'm definitely not going to sugarcoat this as I see, Um, You know, it it could be easy to do that in this case because he did get away with no ACL damage, which is a great blessing for him. But at the same time, again, without your cornerstone franchise left tackle, it's such a rare thing to have one in the first place. And you're without him for the next at least six weeks, probably eight weeks. And so, you know, we'll get to what the Rams are doing in contingency um, a little bit later on. And then Taylor Rapp, who was really starting to come into his own in Brandon Staley's defense, um, filled in for Jordan Fuller when Jordan Fuller was out, and then you know was playing really well as that in that extra DB package, which they used to help out their linebackers um, on the interior and on the second tier. Um, he has a grade two MCL sprain, and so he is going to be out for at least four weeks. So he's also going on in short term injured reserve. You know, that's a three-week period with a 21-day elevation period, and then you can be activated to the 53-man. So there's plenty of time for him to to rest and recover. Um, Kicker Kai Forbath, who just joined the team a couple of weeks ago in replacement of rookie kicker Samuel Sloman, who didn't work out for the Rams, Um, he has a lateral ankle sprain, and he is going to be going on IR, obviously that is not something they can't, they can't hang on to him at that point. So they're going to elevate Austin McGinnis from the practice squad and he, they're actually going to bring in Matt Gay as well to compete with Austin McGinnis. However, uh, COVID protocols mean that whoever comes in needs, there's a five day period where, um, you know, you have to take all of these tests and, and isolate and all of these things and have two negative tests and um, in in consecutive days. And so the the earliest he can work out for Rams coaches is this upcoming Saturday. Obviously they have a little extra time this week because of the Monday night game. So they are lucky in that regard, but I would assume because they've seen so much of Austin McGinnis in camp, because as you recall, he was one of the three kickers competing for that job that (laughs) Samuel Sloman ultimately lost well, we've come a little bit full circle for Mr. Austin McGinnis, um, XFL superstar, University of Kentucky standout kicker, and um, now he's going to get, a, I think, going to get a shot, but it is going to be an ongoing competition, and we'll get into all of these different things, what all of these things mean, but Rich, <laughs> okay, what's your reaction, first of all, to all of this stuff? Because I'm I'm furiously marking notes down in real time as Sean is sort of laying all these things out, and... To me, it's not the you know it's not the end of the world. There are options. There's contingency plans, but it's going to take a lot of precision and a lot of execution in each phase with each of these injuries in terms of their replacements.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. You, yeah, that's a great point. You look at them individually, and maybe you go, "Well, that's not a it's not a problem. That one's not a problem. That one's a little bit of a problem." But then collectively, it's like, "Wow, that's three pretty big pieces uh, of your team right there that, that you're going to have to replace." Um, at once uh, the, the kicker thing is, is interesting I mean I, I have no idea when uh, Kai Forbath suffered his injury or, or whether he was trying to kick while he was hurt that I suppose that's a possibility that's just me saying that off the top of my head I don't have any knowledge but uh, things weren't going real well for Kai Forbath in that game anyway I believe four of the five kickoffs got returned uh, either from the goal line or right around there and then of course he pushed an extra point wide. So again, I have no idea when that injury took place, but um, things weren't exactly going real well for Kai Forbath in that game, uh, independent uh, of the injury. Um, You never want to see a guy like Taylor Rapp get hurt. uh, The versatility uh, that he brings, and especially with the Rams already without Terrell Burgess, it's just that depth uh, that that takes a hit. And, and knowing all the things that Brandon Staley has had success with, with that secondary, it just makes it a little bit harder when you don't have a guy like Taylor Rapp back there. And then uh, I, I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time talking about Andrew Whitworth. The, the thing that strikes me, Jordan, just off the top of my head is, I mean, we we joked about it just last week, right? I mean, just about how this guy was just such a rock. And, and I think you said it wrote it so well in in your column that we published uh sunday night on on the athletic the app and and the website is it was almost just jarring uh to to see him on the ground and to see him not pop up and to see the cart have to come out on the field it's just you almost didn't believe it because this is a guy who's been so consistent and so stable hasn't missed a game to injury i think since 2013 is that right uh and and I know he hasn't missed one during his time with the Rams because of injury and just shocking to see uh, somebody like that who seems almost indestructible uh to to see him have to go on a cart that way was just uh it was it was it was pretty shocking to see
1: yeah even from sort of an unbiased perspective which obviously we are as we cover these games you, andrews just such a good dude and he also yeah is someone who you just have so much respect and admiration for because of what he's able to do, how high of a level he's able to play, playing on par with the best football of his career so far this season, and able to do that at 38 years old. He's almost 39. Had expressed to us that he wants to keep playing, so I think that's a a positive for the Rams, too, if they're thinking of the long term and have that in mind. Um, Right. And then also at this point, you know, it'll be an audition for, for Joe Noteboom. And I know we'll get to get to that in a minute because I do have a lot of thoughts and um sort of a rant, I think. It's a half it's a rantlet. Okay. Um but but in terms of just seeing Andrew stay on the ground like that, that was really um and then what what got me was when he put his helmet in his hands. Like he was laying flat on his back and you, you weren't really sure because it was hard to see what really happened in real time. And they were trying to get the the replay up of it. And obviously you you only want to watch the replay once, if at all, because it was pretty gnarly looking. But seeing him down on the ground and I was looking through my binoculars and he put his head in his hands or his helmet in his hands as he was laying on the ground. And, and at that moment, all his teammates started to kneel and start to pray. And I just thought to myself, Oh my goodness gracious. And it was, you know, and it was also another reminder of how odd this year is in so many ways, because it also happened in a completely silent stadium. And that was a moment where, you know, that Rams fans would have loved to be there and wish him well, as he rode it off to the locker room in the cart. And um, you know, I, I'm certain he would have appreciated that as well.
2: Oh yeah. He would have got a standing ovation. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, you know, that's kind of a salute or, or whatever going off the field, but, um, yeah, it's one of those, you know, you saw it happen, like you said, on the replay. And then, you know, I was, I was downstairs on the next level, talked to a couple of people and that, you know, with the team and just kind of, Oh, you know, it doesn't look good. You know, that you just, you, you, kind of thought the worst, just, just based on the replay and, Based on, like you said, the way that Andrew reacted to it, you can always judge these things or usually judge these things based on the way the teammates react to, um, you know, if if they kind of get the word like, oh, okay, you know, maybe it's just a sprained ankle or something, you, you know, they'll usually jog back to the sideline or jog back to the huddle or whatever. But these guys were just kind of, like you said, they were, they were hanging around, they were kneeling, they were... You know, trying to support him, talk to him, and and that's when you kind of went, uh oh, you know, that's that's not a good sign when uh, when the teammates feel like they kind of have to stick around and and support him. But uh, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. You, you can never, of course, you know, judge or, or pr- project um, how these injuries will go. You know, we we don't we don't know. We get the timetables. You know, the coaches get the timetables, but really, it's up to how the player uh, is able to react. But I, I think Jordan, it would it would be a big boost uh, not only to Andrew. Uh, but the team, you know, like you said, knowing how much they they care about him and value mm-hmm. him, to have that window open to to know that it's not a season-ending injury straight right. out, to know that there's the possibility at least that he can come back. I'm I'm sure that means a lot to Andrew, and I bet that it means a lot to his teammates too to know that uh, you know they might be able to get him back, you know, optimistically for for a week 15, week 16, or something like that, and then maybe into the playoffs. So uh, I'm I'm sure that raised the spirits a little bit.
1: Yeah. And, and if he were to be completely on IR too, which would not be smart considering you have a short window IR period that you can use this year. So there's no reason to put a guy who, again, this does not need surgery. So there's no reason to put a guy who doesn't need surgery on long-term IR because at that point the rules change and you can't really be around your teammates very much. So you want, regardless you want Andrew Whitworth around your football team regardless of what's happening and especially as they get into this really gnarly stretch of the season and they really get into these tough games and they really do start to make a push not only will they know that he's going to be working his way back but also he'll be there to do the same things that he always does which include um you know once he comes once he gets elevated out of that 3 week IR window um he he can be around his teammates, and help coach up the young guys like he always does, um, offer tips and tricks and techniques, be a calming presence, um, be on the sidelines if he wants to, you know, once he's able to practice with teammates. I mean, it's it's one of those things where um, you, you want to have him around. And I think this, I have no doubt in my mind that he will be as helpful a resource as possible to Joe Noteboom, who... Um, is going to be filling in now, and 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 like I said before, it is an audition for him because because as I wrote about in my column, the the future after Andrew, the Rams have been so fortunate, and they know it. They will be the first to admit so fortunate to have not only brought him in in the first place when they did, but also continue to get such a high level of play and high level of stability out of him. It is so so much of a weight off the entire shoulders of an offense and a coaching staff and a GM if you don't have to worry about your left tackle. And that should go without saying, but it is actually shocking how difficult it is to find a a reliable left tackle in this league. And that's coming from a person who covered a different left tackle every single year uh, since 20, what was it? 2015. The Panthers had a different left tackle every single year and game over game went through like eight of them since 2015. And it is just a catastrophe for an offense to be facing that kind of instability. You're almost seeing it on a microcosmic level with what's happening on special teams right now. If you don't have stability in one of the key positions in a phase of football, you are going to have a bad time. So I I think that this is something where Joe Noteboom obviously – needs to step up you know Rich he only just got back to taking left tackle r- reps in this past week leading up to the Seattle game because as we know he came off that season ending injury in 2019 and they immediately put him at guard in the in the summer so there was no spring ball. he comes into training camp in the summer and he immediately is competing at left guard and they liked what they saw out of him at left guard and so they put him there he gets hurt again. Now, he comes off of short-term IR after that calf strain and comes back, and only now is he starting to take those left tackle reps. Yes, people on Twitter, people in the comment section, I hear you. I know he came out as a left tackle. I know he played great left tackle in college. Um, I know he knows what he's doing, and I have, you know, he's got the, the perfect body type for a left tackle, super smart player, gonna has, has all the tools to be a really good left tackle. I think it is at his detriment if they were ever at some point serious about him and their future after Andrew Whitworth it was at his detriment that they moved him around so much because he is late to the reps that he needs and it'll it'll be an assimilation period that I think we need to give him a little patience with because that was not his decision that was the staff's decision and I know that Sean has all the faith in in the world in his offensive line coaches, and he should because I think they've done some, some great work over the last few years. But again, there needs to be some patience, I think, with Joe from the public right now. Let's say he goes out and doesn't have a fantastic outing or has a little bit of inconsistency because really, if we consider how long it's been, it has been, what, two years since this guy's played any meaningful left tackle reps until Sunday's game, in which he played very well.
2: Right. Yeah. It's I mean, going back to, you know, he's a senior at TCU in 2017, and then obviously he gets drafted and and comes in and and plays a lot of reps uh, behind Andrew Whitworth in practice. Um, But that's not the same. So, yeah, it's, it's been a long time since he's been in that role. Uh, at any level. And, and of course, this will be his first time in at the NFL level. So that's just a whole other thing. Uh, I, I feel bad for Joe Noteboom. I do. And I'm not in the sense of that. I think he he's a, a pitiful character or anything like that. But, you know, he gets drafted in 2018. And I think the presumption is kind of like, OK, they're they're grooming him a little bit uh, to, to be Andrew Whitworth's uh, replacement. Uh, probably with the thought that that Andrew was going to retire sooner rather than later or perhaps never uh, because uh, you didn't know what he was going to do after his contract expired or even if he would retire before his contract expired. Pretty much anything was open to possibility at, at that point. So they kind of bring him in looking at him at left tackle. They move him over to guard, which was not a position that he had played a lot either. He played more tackle in in college than than he did guard. So that was a transition in 2019 when they move him over and say, okay, now you're going to be the starting left guard. We hope that goes well. And if that goes well, then hopefully we can transition you over and have you be the left tackle in 2020. Again, thinking that Andrew Whitworth would be retired by that point. So he starts off and it doesn't go well. But again, it's, it's the whole thing that we've talked about with Rob Havenstein, with Austin Blythe with any number of people, even Andrew Whitworth early last season. It didn't go well for any of them. That Just across the board, it was a very, very bad situation. And I don't, again, I, it, however you want to assign the blame to that, it, it doesn't really matter. But Joe Noteboom got caught up in that a little bit. Um, he started to improve, and then he suffers that devastating injury and, and is lost for the season right about the time when he seemed to be coming around a little bit. it's It's hard to judge, but he seemed to be figuring it out a little bit at guard. And then, like you said, Jordan, no off-season program at all. He's rehabbing from his injury, uh, and they throw him back in at guard, you know, hoping that that, that works out. And and now all of a sudden, it's oh, by the way, <laughs> you're back at tackle. And then a week later, oh, by the way, now you're our starting left tackle um in the NFL. So all of that is to say that that I agree with you 100%, Jordan. Um, I, I think he has what it takes, but I would, I was, like you would, would urge Rams fans to have a little bit of patience here and to, to understand that there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve. This is not, uh, whatever it is, 15 year veteran, uh, Andrew Whitworth going in there. This is a young guy who has not played a lot in the NFL period and who has not played left tackle at all but Jordan Rams fans you know what when when you were when you were enjoying your own left tackle uh, experiences in other places <laughs> Rams fans have their memories of Greg Robinson not not too long ago so you I don't need Greg. to remind them what it's like to uh, to to have that instability at left tackle. That's why so many of them celebrated uh, Andrew Whitworth's arrival and his uh, his success over the last few years is because they've seen the dark side. They they know what it looks like. So uh, I'm sure there'll be a little bit of angst and a little bit of concern about what you're going to get out of Joe Noteboom. But um, I think it's great for everybody that that he's going to have this little run here. I mean, it's not great for Andrew Whitworth. Uh, But it's good that he that Joe knows that he's going to have at least probably these these six games here. Right. To go, okay, this is my job. You know, I'm nobody's going to be looking over my or nobody's going to be behind my shoulder. I don't have to look over my shoulder. Um, I can settle in. This is going to be my job for the next, you know, six to eight weeks here. And uh, maybe that'll help him settle down and settle into that role, because I, I do think he has the talent.
1: Greg Robinson. I covered the Greg Robinson was on the Panthers roster for, I think, like eight days. That's right. I covered that uh, from being, I was stuck in an airport. I was stuck in the Pittsburgh airport for a week and a half um, because this was a couple years ago. There were storms all through that area and a bunch of planes were diverted and then stuck in Chicago And, uh, it was roster cut downs and they brought in Greg Robinson. And I was like, why the hell would they bring in Greg Robinson? But he didn't last very long, Rich. (laughs) No, I remember that name vividly only because of the situation that I was in at the time. (laughs) So there was,
2: uh, we still have a running joke because, uh, Jeff Fisher bless his heart would uh, would tell us all about the potential of Greg Robinson. And one of the things he used to say was that the, this guy can do a backflip. We're like, that's I guess that's nice. I don't know. Is that going to help him? Is he going to do a backflip when when a, a defensive end comes around the edge? Like, I mean, he might be as athletic as anybody in the world, but uh, he definitely was not the answer at left tackle.
1: Yeah. Well. Best of luck to him wherever he is. I, yeah. Yeah. Nice enough guy. Yeah, nice guy. And and like, you know, as with Samuel, you you know, you hate to see anyone fail out of the sort of their dream job, obviously. But um, yeah.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
1: So, okay. So let's go to, let's go to Taylor. I, I'm kind of having doubts that I said, I think I said it was a knee. It is a a grade two MCL sprain in his knee. I was worried. I accidentally said ankle, Um, but it is, it is his knee. And you know, this, there are ways I think in this defense that we've already seen that you can scheme around him being absent. I, I don't think this is a case where they'll go out and try to find safety help right now, because I think they've seen glimpses of how you can scheme around a missing safety in, in your system. One of those ways, obviously you, you'll probably see more snaps from Kenny young. Cause as we know in the extra defensive backs package, Taylor was coming in and helping a little bit with some of that horizontal stuff that the linebackers had to do. And, playing really well, by the way, other than that missed tackle um, the other night. And and I thought it was playing really, really well. And then, you know, that was in absence of Jordan Fuller. And then Fuller came back in and you could see that Taylor was going to be able to help the linebackers out a little bit more. And that's the ideal thing that you want from that extra DBs package is you can sort of mask some of the inside linebacker stuff okay, well, now that guy's going to be Nick Scott, who also has um, sort of the lead role on on special teams, which we will also get to here in a minute. But basically right now, I'm I'm not thinking that they bring in somebody completely off the street at this point because they believe that they can scheme around it because they've had to in the past when Jordan was out and Taylor was playing um, opposite John Johnson. And then when they needed the extra DB package, and T- Terrell Burgess was out. They also brought in Nick Scott, who played extremely well. I mean, I, I really yeah. had no complaints about what Nick Scott was doing on the field.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. I think you have to feel good about is that Nick Scott was able to come in earlier and prove that that he can hang in that spot. Um, so you, you, I, I agree, Jordan. I don't. I don't think you look at any additions from outside, and unless you're to suffer another injury, then then maybe you would have to. But uh, that doesn't negate what Taylor Rapp brings to this team. We we know what Brandon Staley likes to do. Uh, with those safeties and that defense. And I believe they started the game with all three of those guys on the field in that package, right?
1: Yeah. And and that was exciting because they kind of had the sense that Seattle, which has so many complementary weapons on offense, such a high powered offense, was going to try to stretch them a little more horizontally in the same way that San Francisco was able to do. Well, and they did. You saw them do it and they weren't quite settled and and but you got the sense that okay well now we start to adjust and they they weren't quite settled against that that initial drive from Seattle and that was when they had the three defensive backs well Taylor Rapp goes out and then it's a lot more Kenny Young and then you do see Nick Scott but at the same time what the defense was able to do in sort of adjustment was to sort of hide the fact that Taylor was no longer, his presence was no longer on the field and they shored up some things. And obviously, especially in the second half, only allowed three points and, um, you know, took a lead which also helped them change what they were going to be doing against Russell Wilson in the passing game and all of those different things. So overall, I, I'm, you hate to see anybody go down and especially sort of this carousel of safeties that they've had this year. Um, at the same time, the type of scheme is super friendly to, to the safeties in general. And something that I wrote about a couple of weeks ago when Taylor when Terrell Burgess went went down with that season-ending ankle injury was during training camp, Brandon Staley and Aubrey Pleasant and Coach Avero and Coach uh, Coach Cooley were repping all of the depth guys in through as if they were gonna start in those same reps. And they did that a super rare to do that in general. Second of all, they did that knowing that they only had a limited amount of training camp snaps to get their starters adjusted, but also knowing that they were going to use as many defensive backs as possible through the season. So all of those safeties can play both safety roles um, and even that third defensive back package. So long story short, that combined with the the fact that Nick Scott just seems to be extremely active in in terms of swarming to the ball, being in the right position. Um, I covered him back at Penn State and he's always been just such a, a team leader. So, um, you know, I, I do have a positive sense, you know, not factoring the fact that Taylor is hurt. You never want to see that, but it, things could be worse at that position. And I think they'll be able to scheme around it.
2: Yeah, I think so. And that that's the Rams, you know, in the in the McVay era have done a good job with that, of, of you know, working in those, those safeties and Uh, you know, making sure that they can play pretty much anywhere. John Johnson was really the first guy who came in and and showed that he could do that. You didn't have to pigeonhole him in one spot. He could play... Uh, pretty much all over the place, and and I think ever since then they've they've kind of had the same mentality with uh, with some of these guys that they they've brought in. So yeah, it'll it'll change the mix a little bit, and uh, you know probably prevent them from from doing certain things. But yeah, I, I agree, Jordan. The the fact that Nick Scott, I didn't I didn't know how, how he would handle a little bit of a bigger role on that defense because he's never really had one before. But but the fact that he was able to come in and give them some uh, some meaningful snaps, uh, I'm sure they'll have to adjust some things. But but I don't think it's a uh, it, it's a dire situation now. If they lose somebody else, uh, it's it's a little bit of a different story, and I think you do have to be a little bit concerned about that. I mean, Jordan Fuller's already had an injury. Uh, John Johnson had a major injury last year, so you're you're going to be crossing your fingers a little bit. But uh, but for now, I I think they could get by.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think, and then you know t- they do they are expecting Taylor Rapp to come back, so I would assume it. For him, it'll be a four- to five-week period. Um, that's just kind of my sense on it. And none of these injuries, by the way, will require surgery. So they are expecting Taylor to come back. So if they can sort of um, handle it schematically for the next couple of weeks, I think that they're in a good spot. But I totally agree with you. Um, you know, And it's so hard to get a guy in, as we're going to see with with Matt Gay, the kicker, that they're going to bring in so hard to get a guy in right now, um, who's outside of your quote unquote ecosystem, because you have to have five days worth of tests and back to back negatives. And then, um, then you have to work that's before you can even work out for the team. (laughs) So, you know, and then plus, you know, learning a system and everything, but, um, how long has it been since you've heard the name Matt Gay? I mean, I remember when he was drafted.
2: Well, I, I the reason I remembered him is because uh, against the Rams last year, twenty nineteen, he made a really long field goal. It was it was well above fifty. I want to say it was close to sixty in in that game. Um, that was just that wild shootout game uh, that the Rams ended up losing. So that was the one I, I remember him for. And then, yeah, I, I when I heard the name, I went wow where is he <laughs> you know because i i remember him kind of having that moment and, and then things didn't go so well in tampa bay but uh yeah here we go back and in, back into the into the waiting pool of of kickers right and and again i i don't know i i don't know much about uh, matt gay's kickoff uh, his leg strength or anything like that um last year with tampa bay um you look at the field goals across the board. I mean, he was 11 of 14 in the 40, uh, 40 to 49 range. He was five of eight of, of 50 plus. And actually now that I'm uh, looking at it, it was a 58 yarder against the Rams. So that's a, that's a heck of a kick. Uh, and last uh, year, hold on Rams fans. He made 43 of 48 extra points. So I, I guess if you, uh, did it over the course of the year, that's, that's better than what the Rams have had this year. But, I don't know, Jordan, where, where is this going now? Because they they signed Austin McGinnis back to the practice squad, um, and now I guess he will compete with Matt Gay. I'm, I'm not entirely sure where the thought process here is. Of you, you cut Samuel Sloman, you sign Kai Forbath, you re-sign Austin McGinnis, but then Kai Forbath gets hurt and now you sign another guy. So I'm not sure what that means for Austin McGinnis or exactly how these guys um, shake out. I, I probably have to think we see Austin McGinnis this week, though, right? I mean, is that, is, is that a fair guess?
1: I mean, it, it probably has to be, right? So yeah. let's dive a little bit deeper into this saga, too, because I do want to point out that, um, yeah, Matt Gay seems to have the leg strength. Um, I'm looking at his two blocked kicks. In uh, 35 attempts, and thinking that's not statistically great. Um, obviously, don't know what the scenario is, but I'm also looking at the fact that I don't see a lot of kickoffs
0: <laughs> going,
1: going on. And so, and then I also see 89.6 extra point percentage. So let's temper our expectations because I think that we're going to have to accept. The fact that it's going to be a little bit chaotic this year if Austin McGinnis does not work out, which he was lights out in the XFL, man. I tell you what. I don't know. I mean, like, here's the right. thing. Here's the issue. Sean McVeigh was as honest as he has ever been in terms of discussing this situation, which is in a year, the first year absent Greg Zerlane for forever. This is what he said. Sometimes you don't realize how good you have it until you don't have it anymore. And I think that's wow. the honest answer. It's been a struggle. That was his those were his actual words oh to to us when we spoke to him. And I mean it if he said anything else, he'd be lying, to be to be quite honest, you know. Right. And, and because it's 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 been a carousel and they've now had to start pulling they they are now no longer in quote unquote their choices. Their choices were Liram Huruluhu, Austin McGinnis, and Samuel Sloman, who was their draft pick. That was their pick of all of the pool of kickers in the draft, free agency. That was who they opened training camp with. Now they are wading into the much more perilous pool of kickers who are all in some sort of support group because A, they've been cut (laughs) by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, (laughs) B, they've been cut by the Chicago Bears. Um, they've they've faced these sort of nightmare yips situations. I mean, they're they're it's it's the seventeen degrees of Kai Forbath at this point because all of these guys, including you know Ryan Suckup and these these different um, guys who have been in and out of these systems, Kai Forbath either was there right before them or right after them, and it's this 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 pool of kickers that are sort of journeymen and trying to stick and sort of exercise these yips that they have faced at certain points in their career. Right. So that's where they're at. That's a much more perilous pool than at the, in the spring, getting to pick your guys and clearly certain things factored in, in which they made the wrong decision. Like for example, not being able to really see and get their own analytics and measurement, uh, measuring tools on Samuel Sloman's kick because they have them in house and COVID meant that he cannot come for a visit. And so they weren't able to really measure the trajectory off of his foot. Well, 17 weeks or so later when he's playing in NFL games, what does that translate to bad kickoffs and blocked with little effort, extra point and field goal attempts. Okay. So then they cut him and they're like, all right, so the next guy's got to have good height off his foot. Kai Forbath, good height off his foot, issues with kickoffs still, which Sean also brought up. Right. Uh, Then he gets hurt. Okay. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's just – it's really – right now, the one thing that I thought was interesting was it's less about, for Sean, I think, I think he believes that he can set any kicker up in a good situation to make a kick as long as they can get the trajectory off his foot and that's adequately – there's adequate height off of it. The feel, I get the sense, and this is where I shared um, a moment of, oh, yeah, we're thinking the same thing, is those kickoffs, returnable kickoffs, drive him freaking crazy. Yeah. And I feel that into my core. Yeah.
2: Because that's what, I mean, Greg Zerline, regardless, he had a little bit of issues with consistency in, in the mid-40s and that sort of thing. He could always bang the ball out of the end zone, and, and that was never a problem. So, you know, Sean is just, he's accustomed to that. That's the, that's all he's known for for three years is, is to know that he doesn't have to worry about that. And now suddenly it's like a huge problem, um, you know, on, on most kicks. So. Uh, Jordan, as we were talking here, I I found at least an answer to one of our questions. Um, uh, Matt Gay only had one kickoff last year. Bradley Pinion, their punter, um, handled their kickoffs. And I don't know. I didn't cover Tampa Bay last year. Uh, I did look. Bradley Pinion has handled kickoffs throughout his career, even before he was in Tampa Bay. So that just might be his thing. He just might be really good at kickoffs. That may or may not be a indictment of uh, of Matt Gay's leg strength. However, on the other side, I also looked back to Matt Gay's uh, college is his I guess it was a senior year at Utah in 2018. And if these numbers I'm looking at are correct, he attempted 82 kickoffs and only fifty-eight oh, and for touchbacks. That's um you that's ca- a little concerning.
1: Your voice got very grave there. Uh, that was that was impressive. Have you only, considered voice acting? Because that was, 58. I mean, I don't, felt my heart sink as you were describing that. <laughs> that that's Jordan, terrible.
2: Jordan, don't tell shot McVay that it was only fifty-eight <laughs> that's kickoffs. That's
1: terrible. <laughs> Oh, my Lord.
2: So who knows? I, I, I have no idea where this goes. I mean, it, Jordan, is it I brought this up a while ago and I know it's a stupid idea, especially when you talk about roster size. But do you almost think of having two of them active just to see like if if one of them can put the ball out of the end zone? I mean, is that that that's a dumb idea, right? You, you can't do that.
1: I think that it's an un- strategically unsound, so I won't I won't call names here. That was polite. Rich, but that was polite. I think it's incredibly strategically outs- unsound in the sense that every roster spot, especially as you get down to like what is it, 46 who can yeah. dress on game days, every single one is necessary. Someone someone is going to be most likely participating or they have value in in depth. So if you take two spots for your kickers because one can't handle both place kicking and kickoffs together, which is standard in the league. Yes. For someone to be able to do at this level of professional kicking, um, you <laughs> <laughs> you <this is laughs> Okay.
2: These poor guys. Com- These poor guys.
1: Composing. I mean, and they're in yeah. a tough spot too. I know, but I yeah. Know. So I don't think, I think it's so strategically unsound. It flies against every bit of progressive decision-making that this team is now trying to do in the non-Jeff Fisher era. The complete rebrand of the franchise. I mean, imagine you you say to your fan base, here's how much we messed this up. We now have two kickers on our active roster. Therefore, taking away a depth spot, despite the fact that we have injury issues at safety and on offensive line right and it happened because we drafted the wrong guy then picked the wrong winner of the kicking competition (laughs) right then that failed then the guy we brought in got hurt right so now we signed two kickers and Maybe one of them can handle both. See, this is again, but, but again, this is speculative because I have no reason to believe Austin McGinnis can't handle kickoffs and place kicking. Right. I think part of it is you can't now in, in these COVID-19 times, you can't not have a kicker on your practice squad. And you also want to make sure that this guy is getting repped in during drills and practice so that you can actually see, can he do these things? So that's really what I think it's going to be. One of these two guys is going to be on a practice squad assumedly because either of them if not had they not been signed to the rams are still available assumedly no other team is going to sign them off right so you're not really in danger there of hiding one on your 53 you, you can or excuse me of of hiding one on your practice squad you can safely keep a second kicker at this right. point Um, but I, I think that if it comes to the point where they're keeping two kickers on the roster, I, I specifically, when, when I was, um, watching the scrimmages, I, I asked Sean about this because there was a couple of kicks that our guy, Liram Haruluhu shorted pretty bad. And I wondered to myself, oh no, if he's not getting the distance that he needs on that kick or, you know, so on and so forth. At one point it was Samuel who wasn't kicking it to the back of the end zone, you know, insert kicker here, if he's not getting the distance on it, would you keep two guys so that one can handle kickoffs? Oh my God. The way Sean screwed up his face, he was, it was like, I, I asked him to eat dog poop. Like he, he was like two kicker, you know, like, no, no, that's not happening. And if you have to do it, you're telling the world you you're giving up. You failed. And you have to start over from scratch the next year. That's that's what that says. So I don't think that's going to happen. I think they'll rotate through every degree of situation in Kai Forbath's long journeyman tenure in this National Football League. Um, all of the guys in his phone book, I think they'll rotate through every single one that they can in, in order to um, you know get someone in who can do both things. And honestly, I... It, Let's say best case scenario, Austin McGinnis sticks and becomes a great kicker for them. Fantastic. If he doesn't work out, I mean, you're already in the latter part of the season at this point. So now you're looking at the draft again.
2: Whew, I am exhausted just yeah. just thinking about all of this. Uh, but you know what? It's not. I, I know some people might be listening and say, "Oh, you know, kicker. What's the big deal? Why are you talking so much about kickers?" But you know what? I mean, I, I think most people understand. But but just to to illustrate, you know, on Sunday. The Rams score, right, Malcolm Brown goes in from one yard out to put him up 23 to 13, uh, about halfway through the third quarter. And you're thinking, okay, that's good. you got a 10-point lead. It's halfway through the third quarter. Defense is playing well. Pretty good shape there. You kick the ball off. It it barely gets to the end line, I think. And they return it 47 yards to midfield. And, like, that could have been a real turning point. Now, fortunately for the Rams – their defense was super stout, and and that was the series where, where Leonard Floyd Superman comes out and gets uh, two sacks in in three plays. So turns into a moot point because they, they have to punt and and everything's fine. But as it's you know something small like that, Jordan can can make a big difference. An extra point can make a big difference. Um, so you know and maybe we spend a lot of time talking about kickers, but they they really really have to figure this out. And and I don't know what the answer is, and I know it's a stupid suggesting to carry two kickers and i know they're never going to do oh, it oh you but... teed
1: me up for it you just wanted to hear me rant <laughs> i wish i, I could you... see
2: sean's face i'm gonna I have to go you back to... And...
1: i know you just wanted to hear me rant on that one
2: i can't get enough of of the kicker talk and uniform talk by the way how about those those blue and uh, excuse me royal and and uh, uh bone <laughs> uniforms and i'll, I'll admit jordan I didn't think they looked bad in person. I don't know how they came across on TV. I haven't watched the 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 replay yet, but uh, it wasn't bad. And Jalen Ramsey picked them out. How about that?
1: Yeah, confirmed. Jalen yeah. Ramsey did pick those out. Um, I don't really have an opinion on them because they wanted them so they're not cursed. So I think okay. that that's probably the the ideal thing. One thing you did say is people will probably think we're spending too much time talking about kickers. Counter argument. You should not ever spend less time talking about kickers because then you find yourself in this very situation. Yeah, you need to point. always be talking about kickers. You know that sign or that saying by salesmen always be closing? Yeah. ABC. This is A B T A C. Always be talking about kickers because they have a serious problem on their hands. The fact that it's this much of a stressor, not just on your transaction, they could have been bringing in um, you know, safety help. They could have a guy on their practice squad who could be promising depth for them at some point, but instead you're focusing these things on kickers. And then again, the thing that really is a concern is their contain unit, the way special teams works, it's not just a bunch of guys running downfield like, everybody's got lanes that they have to be in. And much like routes on a field for receivers, these, these containment lanes have to develop based on the kickoff. Okay? Yeah. So if the kickoff is not hanging in the air enough, which was one of Sean's big um, pet peeves on, when, he, when he talked about it with us, if it's, not, if it's not getting enough hang time, those lanes can't develop, and it gives the returner such an advantage. Right, So so that is something that is a huge problem, especially if you're dealing with prolific scoring offenses, as they are and will. You're setting up your defense at such a disadvantage. And then also on the other side, if the guy can't make field goals or you have no idea what his range even is, and, and let me tell you, they spent a lot of time trying to establish pregame on Sunday what Kai Forbath's range was, yeah. by, by the way. And if you can't, if you aren't comfortable enough with a guy to know exactly what his range is and you haven't established that, it changes what your play calls are on the offensive side. Mm -hmm. So it is such a huge thing to not have to worry about your kicker. And it then becomes such a stressful thing when you do. And it's one of the few positions on the team that can cause that kind of chaos. And I think it's um, sociologically and psychologically fascinating, but I would not want to be that person.
2: No, not not at all. That's uh, that's some of those guys are wired a little bit different. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, you have to be, I, I think, to have that position because any any failure is just magnified. I mean, you, you don't get to have any moment where you have a mistake and somebody doesn't notice it um, with the way you might at another position. Even quarterback, you a certain amount of mistakes are accepted. And receiver, a dropped pass here and there, people understand. An offensive lineman misses a block, yeah, it happens. Kicker misses a couple extra points. Oh my goodness! That that you are not going to hear the end of it. So, uh, yeah, you definitely have to be wired a, a certain way. But yeah, it it changes everything when uh when when you when you don't have that consistently, and that that's one thing the Rams were able to rely on in the past, and and uh, haven't been this year.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think Sean summed it up well with his extremely honest comments. Wow. <laughs> kind of yeah. He sounded like an ex, to be honest he with did. you. He I, did. He
2: didn't know how good he had it yeah. until Greg Zerline packed up and went for Dallas. like a yeah. country, There's a country song in there somewhere.
1: Oh, my gosh, there my, is. Maybe a Norv Turner, Turner will yeah. write a second country song about the ballad of Greg Zerline. Because yeah. I know I a know, uh, random fact that he really likes him. <laughs> so,
2: yeah. um, my kicker left for
0: Dallas. My kicker left for Dallas and,
1: for Dallas and took yeah. the dog, too. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: Okay, so we've got some time left, too, to go over this, I think, decisive win against Seattle. I think we can go our three biggest takeaways, and I'm going to make you start. And you can start with one, and I'll tell you whether I agree or not.
2: Okay. Um, I liked the run game rotation. Um, And I I haven't sat down to look at exactly how the rotation went um, or develop any, uh, see what the trends were. But just from watching it live and, and watching the effectiveness of it, it seemed to work to me. It seemed like guys were in there in the right situations. It seemed like a good mix. Um, it seemed like they were effective in in what they did. I loved what Malcolm Brown did. I I don't know whether he was a little more motivated. I I think maybe he'd been kind of pushed to the side a little bit. I I don't know whether deliberately or just by the course of things, but everybody got very excited about Daryl Henderson and then, Uh, Everybody wanted to see what Cam Akers could do. And and I think Malcolm was there saying, hey, hey, guys, I'm still here. And uh, he had an outstanding game. So uh, I thought each of those guys had their moments. And and I thought Sean... Uh or whoever you want to credit Thomas Brown or or, or whoever has a hand in that, I, I thought did a good job of of mixing them in into that rotation. I thought it was the best we'd seen this year.
1: Yeah, and I, I asked Malcolm about it post game and he I asked him, is this what, is this what it's supposed to look like in terms of not just carry distribution, but also the fact that the carry distribution leaned a little bit heavier first and second down of Cam and Daryl. Um, and then Malcolm Brown came in situationally in some of those crucial instances where, uh, at one point, you know, short yarded situations. Yes, but also some of those crucial pass protecting situations. You saw him completely save a drive by picking up a, a. First of all, he he had a catch and run, and he converted um, on a on a pressure play, and that helped save the drive. Second of all, a few plays later, he picked up a a free blitzer. I think it was Jamal Adams. And he, he picked up the blitz against Jared Goff. And Jared was able to just kind of barely get the ball off to Cooper cup. And that also, you know, helped save the drive. And then Malcolm Brown scored a few plays later on one of his sort of trademark downhill runs. So in that situation, It's interesting because you're starting to feel a little bit more, as as Malcolm said, like what it's supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like, which is guys are getting their turns, and situationally they are a lot more intentional about where they place them. In those moments, the pressure was really coming. So they put Malcolm Brown in because he could help in pass pro. They knew they were going to be trying to beat those blitzes and beat those pressures and throw the ball downfield um, and, and sort of gain that leverage to get a little bit more of a cushion in their lead. They weren't ready to just keep the ball on the ground yet, but they really needed him in and pass pro. And so that's what he came in and did. And, um, you know, they they even, obviously, the stat sheet will tell you, they worked him in space a couple of times as an outlet. And that's not something other teams really expect, is a guy who is a downhill running back, to be worked into space in passing situations. But Jared Goff has this steadiness with him and this sort of calming – Relationship with him that he talked about after the game on on Sunday, and so it it made sense why he was in. And then when you get Daryl Henderson going, and man, that guy could really pop through a gap, and and you get get some of that explosive, hard um, two cut cut back running. And Cam Akers had a, a stellar game and led the team in carries for the first time, I think, first time, well, second, maybe second time all season. And it, it was one of those things where you could actually feel where things were clicking in terms of a play-calling rhythm of those running backs. And I think it brought, even when things got a little haywire down the stretch, it brought a little bit more um, calmness and steadiness to the offense overall. And it certainly set up some of the things that they really love to do, including the play action and the boot protections and things like that that Jared Goff thrives in while also bringing in a little bit more of those protections and outlets for him as well. So I think that that, as Malcolm Brown describes it, was, quote-unquote, what it's supposed to look like. And, and he said it was really fun to exist within that system. Yeah. And it, it's hard to not find it fun when you score two touchdowns, obviously. Hmm. But but also, um, you know, I think that as a group of people, we tend to think in terms of lead backs and, and you know, lion's share of carries. And that's just, I think we all have to come to terms with the fact that, and I'm looking at you fantasy football players, that that's just not going to be pinpointable week over week. It's just not, it's not going to be that way because it's, you're going to see if things continue to work and sustain, which this is really what they want. If things continue to sustain, you are going to see Malcolm Brown in similar situations as he was. You are going to see Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers, have it getting a lot of those first and second down, some third down. Cam Akers, I still would really like to see worked more into the passing game. I think he could absolutely shine there. Daryl Henderson, I think, is a fantastic running back and could really um, bite off some key yardage on early downs. And that's what you want to see. Something that allowed them to get into it better was the fact that they were in the, especially in the first half, so successful on third down so they yeah. they they weren't facing um adverse situations they were able to continue to stay and we know they don't script but continue to stay within the plan and within the the three back system that they established going into the game so you know a lot of moving parts quite literally and if this is any foretelling of what we will see down the stretch you know it's finally you know the wheels have finally been put back on the car and it doesn't have a fresh paint job yet but it's ready to start <laughs>
2: it's running it's it's running yeah yeah uh, 9 of 15 on third down that's that's a that's a great that's a great number and uh yeah Jordan I I agree um, we joke about the fantasy owners, but it's not. The, I don't think the goal here is to identify the lead back. And if that's what no. people are thinking, that's not. I don't think that's going to happen this year. I mean, maybe it happens naturally if, if one guy just shows himself to be that much better uh, than the others. But I, I think this model that they that they rolled out on 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 Sunday, the the 2020 model, uh, with with the without the paint job yet. Um, I, I, think that's a good model. I think it's, it's good for them to follow. It's, it's not easy to do. It's, it's hard to, uh, you know, get that rotation and, and know, you know, when to, when to get the get right guy in there and right situation or whatever. But I thought they did it as well against Seattle as they had done it all season. So if you're looking for a positive sign from that offense, uh, I certainly think that's one. So Jordan, are you taking the, how are you doing this? Are you, are you taking yeah, I'll second take the second one. Oh okay.
1: yeah. I'll take the next one. Right. Um, I'm not going to say I told everyone so about this defense, but I'm very tempted to. But I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. Jordan told Rich, you guys so. <laughs> <laughs> remember, Rich, when we talked—I uh, think it was last week—about how you can tell this defense is actually going to be the real deal down the stretch and is the real deal um, because its best players are. Yes, they're showing up, but they're not disguising. Warts. Instead, you can see conceptually how this off or excuse me, how this defense is supposed to work. Yeah. Well, you saw all of that in action against Seattle. I mean, that is the number one scoring offense in the NFL. They held them to 16 points, three second half points, which is actually point three under their second half average in points allowed, which sort of tells you how stingy they've been, especially in the second half all season long. And there are so many things to like about what they did. Jalen Ramsey um, absolutely smothering DK Metcalf in the sense that DK Metcalf didn't even get a target um, until the th- one minute left in the third quarter. And Russell Wilson, after the game, said that the route concepts, they they were scheming him. There He was in the progressions, and there was options to throw to him, but sometimes Jalen would jump the route. Sometimes he would cover the route. Sometimes there would be you know, a situation where Russell Wilson maybe thought that was too big of a risk. And so, you know, instead is going to other guys. Well, as we know, Darius Williams is right there and he's ready to go and he's fired up and comes away with two interceptions, which by the way, Jalen says he is counting three, even though one got called back because he says, and I quote, DBs count the picks that don't even count. (laughs)
0: Mm.
1: So he's saying that he's got, that Darius has three and, and, you know, there's other things to get to in the defense, and I know we'll talk about it. But first of all, can we just say, that's so delightful. Their friendship and, and that <laughs> entire secondary's r- group dynamic is just so delightful. Um, and one of my other favorite things that Jalen said was, and I hope people didn't miss this either. When we were talking to him postgame, so DK Metcalf had two catches for 28 yards. We were talking to Jalen game, and we asked Jalen, how do you think you did against DK Metcalf? Well, I think maybe in the past, or even some defensive backs or characteristically and stereotypically defensive backs might have said, oh, yeah, you know, I locked him down. He was a non-factor. Well, instead, Jalen said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, you know, I thought I did pretty well. My technique was good. I thought I had a good game. And then made sure to point out that the two catches that DK Metcalf had (laughs) We're actually in zone coverage, by the way. (laughs) So technically, he didn't give them up, which I thought was so subtly awesome. Like, that was just fantastic. Just sliding that in just real smoothly and subtly, um, kind of in the same way that he announced he picked the uniforms on Sunday, but then turned off the replies. I mean, the subtleties this guy has are just fantastic phenomenal <laughs> and I am such it's so so fun to watch him just um, just operate in general as a person and as a player because those subtleties are just just delightful they are so fun Um, but yeah I'm getting off topic but it, I mean how about Darius Williams I mean my goodness gracious
2: yeah it's I love to watch him play and uh, there's certain guys who I'm far from an expert on on cornerbacks, but there's guys who are really good kind of technicians, I, I guess you would say, uh, and then there's guys who are just like athletes, and I just, I love watching him play, because there was, who was the, uh, the, the interception he made in the corner of the end zone, I don't know who he took it away from, whether it was Disley or, or Olson, I think it was one of the cornerbacks, uh, one of the tight ends, but he, he just, he turned, you know, he, he's playing one guy, and he kind of turns his head, and he sees the ball in the air, and he just, flips his hips and goes the other way and makes this like jumping interception. It's it, the, these plays that he makes, they're not ones where you go, Oh, wow. He, you know, he made a good read on the ball and he just stepped in front of the route or something like that. I mean, that, yeah. that's impressive in its own right, but, but the athletic plays that this guy makes are just so uh, enjoyable to, to watch. And, and they come at such big moments. I mean, touchdown saving plays, not only the interception, but uh, that that tipped pass, or he just stretches, you know, every from like you said in your in your story, Jordan, from from toe to fingertip, you know, stretching out to just get a finger on the ball and and deflect it away from from Tyler Lockett. Uh, just a just an enjoyable guy uh, to watch play football and uh, just just a lot of fun. But uh, a great defensive. I, I mean, yeah. I've seen the Rams play a lot of games against Russell Wilson. Uh, There's been times, you know, when Aaron Donald has gotten after him and been like a one man wrecking crew. But I'm not sure I'd seen a Rams defense from kind of, you know, all three levels, but play as well as they did. Uh, against Russell Wilson as they did this Sunday. I mean, there there were a few times there. He had a couple Russ moments where he you know spun out of a sack and he's looking downfield and you think, okay, here it comes. You know, he's this is the this is the magic moment, but it never really happened. And and they did a pretty good job of of containing that. They got a lot of pressure on him. They sacked him six times. I think they hit him. Let's see, 12. they hit him six other times. They had twelve yeah. total uh, hits on him. That's that's a lot of hits on on Russell Wilson. Yeah. Uh, so I, th- I thought they did a really nice job from top to bottom in containing a guy who's really, really hard to contain.
1: Totally right, Rich. Um, they were really setting up shop, I think, in Pete Carroll's head, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, you saw some of those play calls that they're still talking about in disbelief and disgust up in Seattle right now um, in terms of the decision making on crucial situations and short yardage, third and fourth downs. Um These are a couple examples of how you could see that the Rams defense was not letting the offense happen to them. They were happening to the offense, as Brandon Staley likes to say. One of them you brought up. Um, So, Darius Williams, one of his interceptions came against Greg Olson. Okay. Greg Olson is six foot five. Yeah. Right. And Darius Williams is five foot nine. One would think. (laughs) That that particular play is a mismatch situation. And in fact, that is what the Rams would have the Seahawks believe. That Darius Williams, their, you know, unheralded, underrated, unknown corner, is in a mismatch now against six foot five veteran, three consecutive thousand-yard seasons, Greg Olson. Right? That's what they would have Russell Wilson believe in that situation. But Darius Williams can not only get to the pick point like he can, like the Rams know that he can, which is why he was there. It's his responsibility. Right. And then make the play on the ball. And that's one example of, why, of how the offense that normally asserts itself on others, the roles were completely reversed in certain situations like that. And another was you see triple teams on Aaron Donald. And, and, and then at that point, the Rams are finally able to get that outside pressure that they so crave and, and sort of had lacked with you know, three sacks by Leonard Floyd. Um, now he's at his, matched his career high with seven sacks on the season. And then yeah. Terrell Lewis followed up with two, his first and second of his NFL career. And, and you see this sort of asserting force of Aaron Donald is, is drawing these things to himself. You know, I was not surprised that he ended up only playing. I believe it was sixty-nine or seventy percent of defensive snaps because he's fighting off triple teams, yeah, <laughs> through the course of much of the game. And and then he's after he's free, he's then getting rushing to the ball and find you know trying to make sure that he's swarming to the ball as great players do. And but but those examples of yes, we know for a fact that you know not only. Jalen Ramsey is going to completely eliminate a portion of the field and an entire tree of route concepts for one of your more prolific receivers. But then you can mismatch Darius Williams all you want. He's going to still make the play on the ball, right? Then we have safety help coming up for our linebackers, so you can't stretch him wide anymore. Then you have Aaron Donald, who is attracting offensive linemen like moths to a flame. And then on the edge, you're getting. I mean, it's it's exactly what you said. It's it's exactly what a complete defensive performance looks like, and it's I think um, going to be on the teach tape moving forward. To be honest with you,
2: yeah, I mean, it's it's going to make that second Seattle game very interesting. you yeah. know it's it's gonna Pete Carroll's hair is already gray, but uh, it's not going to help him any in uh, when when those teams come back around again. I I'm, I'm already I can't wait for that second Rams Seattle game, just to see what the kind of the coaching, uh, uh, you know, back and forth is I'm sure there'll be adjustments because Pete's all about making adjustments and and so are the, so are the Rams. So I, I'm really excited uh, for, for that second game. But uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Rams played some good games against the Seahawks in the, in the uh, Sean McVay era, but uh, that, that was a very, very good uh, defensive effort. So yeah,
1: hard to so, find anything to complain with that, Rich, to be honest.
2: Yeah, I did not a whole lot, not a whole lot at all. So do we have time for one more? Do yeah, we, we do a your, quick one?
1: You've got the third take. OK, sure. I,
2: I want to mention Josh Reynolds um, just because I, I don't know exactly where we're going with this, but it's uh, it was a step back in the right direction uh, for, for Josh Reynolds. I, he had his, he's had his moments. Uh, this season. And I think he's also had some consistency issues and being able to put things together, but uh, you know, credit the Rams too. I thought the, the offense was, was designed well, probably put those receivers in in good positions, but uh, uh, Josh made the plays too. I think uh, he was, he was eight for eight to start the game in terms of targets for, and, and catches off of those targets and ends up setting um, career highs with uh, 10 targets, eight receptions, uh, 94 yards and, and and played a good game. I think, were, I think there might have been one drop in there, right? Or there was one play where he might have been able to come up with one. But um, it, it's interesting. We wondered about Van Jefferson and, and maybe w- whether he would be a guy who stepped forward and and he did uh, get a little bit more run in, in this game than, than he did in, in previous games. But uh, if they can have Josh Reynolds contribute at that level, then uh, that gives them four options of guys in addition to Tyler Higbee and, and Gerald Everett, of course, who can who can uh, be contributors in that offense. I just, I wanted to give a little uh, shout out to Josh Reynolds because I thought he played a good game.
1: Yeah. I love that. Speaking of sort of underrated people stepping up when they, when they need to, um, Josh Reynolds was was the guy, the go-to guy on third down a few times and has been. And I think that's an important sign of, of the trust and rapport with the quarterback is how often is he the read on third down and um, you know, was converting those. And then something that, you know, I think is, is interesting and exciting perhaps is that we very well could see an emergence of more of these four receiver sets coming down the stretch with Van Jefferson included because really the only reason was that they haven't been using as much Van Jefferson as maybe we expected early on because he's ready to go is Josh Reynolds is playing very well for them and then they're also doing a couple different things especially with Gerald Everett and Tyler Higbee is in flashes, obviously, but uh, Gerald Everett, I think, has more targets this year than Tyler Higbee so far. But what I think now, because there is a little bit more of an unknown on the left side of the offensive line, I don't know that we're going to see a lot of Tyler Higbee (laughs) down the stretch at this point because they, they will probably want to have him help block in line. And then some of their other receivers who are great blockers, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, So you really could see more Josh Reynolds and Van Jefferson working those downfield routes because you're going to need blocking help. You're going to need to slide some of your protections and do some of your misdirection with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods because you might have more of a question mark on the left side. So that might mean leaning a little bit more on the Josh Reynolds and Van Jeffersons of the roster. And I think that that's I think that good for them. <laughs> They're in a position that they can do that. Right. Um, if if it does happen as predicted, they are in a position where they can do that because they have the talent and the depth on their roster. Um, and and then they now have this rapport built with Josh, and you certainly saw it um, on Sunday. and And then also, you know, Sean even came out and said, and again, we take these things with a grain of salt, and I'm talking to you, fantasy football players. He did come out and say that, Uh, Van will be very important to their offense down the stretch. But to me, that's a little bit of a hint on the obvious, which is that they probably are going to need to bring Tyler back in for, for better blocking help. And and then maybe get Gerald back in, in those sort of fullback situations that helped them a lot with their blocking um, in the early part of the season. So that's kind of what I think, you know, you love to see Josh Reynolds be successful because me couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And he's got to put a lot of good tape up because I don't sense that they will bring him back next year. And so, um, you know, he's, he's putting out a lot of good tape and making himself some money. And I think that's really, really important for a guy to be able to do in this league.
2: Yeah. Depending on what that, that'll be a fascinating one because, uh, there, there's definitely some skill there and, uh, I I don't know what his market ends up being or, or anything, but, uh, that that's if, if I'm an NFL GM, I mean, that's, that's a guy I would, I would happily uh, take a little bit of a flyer on, but yeah, the second half of the season and then circling back to, you know, maybe to where we started. How does the offense change without Andrew Whitworth? I, I don't think it changes a lot, but but do you look at some different things? Um, you know, at least maybe in these first couple of games when you're trying to get Joe Noteboom up to speed. I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, how that looks um, starting with this uh, upcoming game against Tampa Bay. So. Uh, they've got a lot of options. And, and if you're a play caller or quarterback, whoever it is, that's, that's the one thing you want is, is a lot of options. And, and the Rams certainly um, have that. So it's a fascinating game, wasn't it? All, all around. I, I thought it was a really enjoyable game to watch and there's a lot to uh, to take away from it.
1: Yeah, and they've got another tough one coming up on Monday night. So, again, guys, a reminder, we will have our next episode of 11 Personnel out a day later because the Rams also are playing a day later, and they are heading to Tampa Bay to take on Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, <laughs> Bruce Arians, and Todd Bowles, who uh, that is going to be probably the toughest test that this offense has faced this season. And if there was ever a time... For them to perhaps put together a complete game offensively, as they have not done so yet this year, uh, this upcoming week would probably be the one that they want to get that done.
2: Yeah, yeah. Another one of those big hinge games to me, Jordan. I mean, this this was a big one, too. Beating Seattle, that's a big, big win. Uh, to get to six and three, especially with how that division looks now, with three three teams tied uh, at six and three, you don't want to understate how big that one was. But this is another one where if you can if you can get to seven and three by beating Tampa Bay, ooh, that looks that looks pretty good. And uh, I know it's going to be a tough game. It's it's always. Uh, to, you know to, it's a very very different looking Tampa Bay team obviously than than a year ago when they had that big shootout with the with the Rams whatever that ended up being and then uh I remember, I remember being in Tampa Bay when they had the big they had a big thunderstorm and they had to like, like stop the game in the fourth quarter it's always there's always something weird when when Tampa Bay and, and the Rams play so I'd, I'd expect a really interesting game on on Monday night and uh of course, we'll look forward. It'll be a day later, but uh, we'll we'll look forward to all of your your great coverage as always on the Athletic on the app and uh, on our website.
1: Where, as I understand it, uh-huh. you can find one of my favorite things in the world via this podcast. Birds. <laughs> that's just mean. <laughs> I teed you up and everything, and that's just mean, Rich. Come on, what 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 am I a Rams kicker? You're just. Kicking that, me to the curb here. I'm just that, going that through was, the carousel.
2: That was for Brian and, and Andy Kamenetsky. Oh, yeah. For your, that was uh, for the
1: Kamenetskys. For, they for
2: are. Any, for anybody who didn't. Jordan, all joking aside, Jordan did, had an outstanding appearance on... Our friends uh, Andy and Brian uh, uh podcast, Late Night Happy Hour. So I, I'd encourage. There's some really. I'm, I'm being serious, Jordan. I, that was that was a really cool conversation. So if people have oh, more time,
1: about how many birds shit on me? <laughs> yeah, really cool conversation, right? I don't Thanks. know
2: where they got that from. I I don't know where <laughs> <laughs> they really pulled that out of nowhere, but. Um, but it really was a fun, the, you know, there was some great football talk in there, too. Yeah. But so we love, love Andy and granular. Brian.
1: Yeah, we love those guys. We love yeah. to, to get into the granular stuff with them. Uh, Rams fans, you guys know me by now, I hope. And, y- you know, I love details. And right. I know it sounds corny, but I love process. And Rich and I geek out of, over this stuff all the time. So um, we just... So appreciate you guys following us, al- uh, following along with us on this journey and this um, sort of incredibly unfolding saga that is the Rams season. <laughs> and Rich, tell him for real this time, man. What can you get? When no, you-
2: I was just circling back because I was going to say I was setting this up because I was going to say the only thing we love more than Andy and Brian is a great deal. Right, that's
1: good. Yeah,
2: I mean, this is where I was going with this. Uh, Kudos to you. But it it is true. If you go to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel, you can jump on board for just $1 per week. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that Jordan's coverage alone is worth well more than that. And uh, we're so grateful to all of our uh, subscribers who have been with us all year. Everybody who leaves great comments on Jordan's stories. Everybody who leaves great comments on our podcast page on Apple. Uh, It's going to be a really fascinating second half of the season, and uh, you're not going to want to follow along with it. Uh, Jordan's Jordan's the best follow on all of it. So if you're not on board, jump on board right now.
1: Yes. In the words of Rich Hammond, my content is worth at least $1.
2: Per week, I mean, you know, that's yeah. Per week,
1: that's fifty-two whole dollars, guys. No, you can put that
2: on the back of your book uh, cover if you like. Yeah, good
1: deal. You can write my first review. That'll be that'll be great. Um, (laughs) You guys, we love having you along with us. As we said, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe. Join us in the comment sections. We actually, um, and every week, I can't believe I am saying this, but we actually have a great time in our comment sections, and everyone's really cool to each other and offer some great insight and opinions and we we have a blast and continue to follow us on twitter at jordan rodrigue at rich underscore hammond for your favorite rams content and if you follow rich your uniform takes